Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. to the latest Forza Italian football podcast as ever. I'm your host, Connor Clancy, and joining me this week are a jubilant duo of Luca Gumby and Vito Doria. Luca, I'll start with you. How are you feeling to be back on after such a good weekend for Sampdoria? Yeah, it's uh, very good. It's all piling up all the football. It's three in a row. It's records. I'm starting to look at booking my uh, travel, perhaps for the home leg. Never been to the derby. I've been to every other derby in Italy pretty much but not the one I cared most about so looking forward to, to what's uh, coming up and happy with what uh, happened at the weekend yeah absolutely uh, speaking as someone who has been to that derby this time last year it was it was Sampdoria's home game and of course they won it was it's the best derby in Italy there's, there's no real question and I can see you smiling down in the bottom of the screen Vito um, I take it you're just as happy as Luca after that result oh absolutely Definitely. I mean, proud of the team for getting the result in the derby. And of course, moments like this make me proud, not just to be a Sampdoria supporter, but a Doria. So um, I'm looking forward to having a chat about it. I was, we're, we're going to talk about this game a bit later, but I was absolutely delighted to see Fabio Quagliarella score, given, I know it's not news this week, but he's kind of been the centre of attention again this week. Um, as much as you guys have been celebrating this weekend, though, it hasn't been an entirely happy one. And Andrea Pirlo, guys, he's gone. He's finally hung up his boots and left football after finishing up with New York City FC. So I guess the only place to start this week is to talk through our favourite Andrea Pirlo moments. Vito, I'll come back to you for yours first. There are a number of moments that you can really choose from, from Pirlo. Um, If I really had to pick one, the moment for me was that chip in the Euro 2012 penalty shootout when Italy played against England and... Pirlo executed that fabulous chip over Joe Hart. I thought that was a moment of magic. And especially against England, who are usually critical of Italian football, I just thought it made it even sweeter. So uh, that's my Pirlo moment. Yeah, that's got to be up there. I remember I I watched that with a group of mates and um, there were about five or six of us there. Um, Myself and one of the others were kind of hoping Italy would win. The others didn't really have any sort of opinion on it. And... When he did that chip, the whole room just started laughing. You know, there was no other response other than laughter. And then we all kind of agreed, that's England done. They can't come back from that now. But uh, Luca, go on, treat us to your favourite Pirlo moment. Uh, for me, I think it has to be the semi-final against Germany in 2006 in Dortmund because it was the gold de Grosso, but 
that kind of assist when he just gets the ball on the edge of the area where he's lurking after the corner. And he just keeps, keep, take, takes a touch, takes another touch. It's all basically in slow motion. And he just pulls out this perfect, perfect pass for Grosso to just finish it first time. It was a, it's such a strange goal. Like if you, if you watch it back, you don't see players like make it look so simple, but still have so much time and then just execute it perfectly. And then I think also a goalie scored against Palmer for Milan where he just hit an absolute screamer, but he, he seemed to put no effort into it. He didn't even seem to swing his leg, but once he just really stayed up. That goal against Palmer, it was as if he looked up and saw there were no passes on, so he just thought, oh, I might as well hit this. But um, I had a list of three, and you guys have taken my three moments. So I guess for mine, it's not, not really a moment. It's Luca, you were on this trip as well. We went to see Juventus play Lazio. I think it was 2014-15 season when Lazio looked like they could actually challenge for the Scudetto and Juventus just brushed them aside. But we, we spent like 120 quid on tickets and I spent the whole, it was 75, 80 minutes that he was on the pitch anyway, just, just watching him. And it was almost like he was playing the game at a different pace to everyone else. He, he didn't really follow the trends of where everyone was moving. He kind of kept in his own little zone. And one thing I really noticed was, Every two to three seconds, he was looking over one of his shoulders, making sure that he knew where everyone was. He knew where the opposition were. And then when he got the ball, he could just do some incredible things. And yeah, he's going to be sorely missed. I know the last couple of seasons out in MLS, he's been a bit of a joke character, especially with that, you know, the video of the corner when he just watches it go over his head and shrugs it off. But I suppose that's kind of why we love him as well, isn't it? We've got some interaction in the comments already which is great guys welcome along paul eric and that other one um eric is just complimenting us paul is paul agrees with the semi-final luca that's his favorite period moment and yeah to be honest it's hard to disagree with that but right we're here to talk about the weekend Serie A action and as is kind of become a tradition let's start at the top where napoli maybe it's not so surprising that they didn't win but what's surprising is that they didn't score they were held nil nil against kievo um, Vito, do you think they'll be concerned by this? I reckon there will be some concerns because Napoli looked rather tired. And as you mentioned, Napoli are a team that do score a lot of goals. So to not score a goal, I think that's a bit of a concern for the Napolitani. So hopefully Sari and the squad they can make the most out of the international break to you know relax a bit and of course, analyse where they've gone wrong in this game and also in the game against Manchester City in the Champions League and see how they can return to winning form and, of course, you know, scoring freely like they did early on in the season. Yeah, you, you mentioned that they were tired, which I was kind of interested to see that. It, well, it was blatantly obvious watching it that they were pretty fatigued, especially that front three. But I thought it was interesting that Maurizio Sarri actually came out afterwards and admitted as much. He said that, the way he described it as well was quite interesting. He said it was the last game of a cycle, meaning between the two international breaks. And unfortunately, they couldn't get through the whole cycle without letting the fatigue get the better of them. They've got a tough couple of weeks ahead. I think they play both Milan and Juventus, and I'm pretty sure both of those games are at home. But if you were looking at this next block of fixtures then between, what, mid-November and the winter break as the next cycle... Luca, do you think they can just kind of brush off this fatigue? They'll have a lot of players going away in international duty, come back stronger than ever and just power forward again? Or is this tiredness something that could really stunt them between now and, well, the winter break? Uh, I don't think it's really going to be too much of an issue. If you look at sort of fixtures, just on paper, you think Kiego away is always going to be a tough one. They're like Kiego kind of masters of spoiling games and this tightness they've just played Manchester City and then they've lost Gulam, which is a big big loss and that will uh, also affect their fitness as they try and deal with that I think some people have been a bit critical of Sarri in the sense that he doesn't tend to rotate his squad that much perhaps players like Rog or whether people would like to see them a bit more but I think I think they know what they're doing there's no point like really when you're a top team trying to peak in November like you should be set up for stuff when kind of your fitness really makes a difference is it like the turn of the year. So I don't think they're really going to be that tired now. They'll have the international break. Obviously, that's a bit difficult. People going all over the world, but I, I can't really believe that they're tired at the moment. And it was just one game after a very difficult game. Kevo 
our solid defence felt fit the goalkeeper play, but I don't think there's really any major reasons for concern for, for Napoli. It's just one of those things that happens and the important thing is to just take it in your stride and carry on. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. And I think a lot of people are forgetting that in the last few weeks they've played Inter and Manchester City both home and away. And people kind of knew Manchester City are a good team, but at the moment it's looking like they could potentially be the best team in Europe at the moment. So to play against them and the tempo that they play at, the demands that that requires of you are huge. And maybe this kind of international break, whatever, is exactly what they need to kind of just clear their minds and hit the ground running then afterwards. But I'm pretty sure I've got these stats right. Napoli last season lost four games. And I'm pretty sure three of those were in October or were before the end of October. So if you look at their situation now, they're in a much better position than they were last year. And then they put up that incredible run from November onwards once Mertens kind of solidified his place as that number nine. And I think the only game they lost between then and the end of the season was against Atalanta at the San Paolo. But do you think they're capable, Vito, of putting together a run like that together again? And I know people are kind of getting carried away. Juventus are coming back. Do they need to be overly concerned or will they just kind of pick up where they've left off in the last few weeks? Napoli. In Napoli's case, I think they should have some concerns, but at the same time, I think they should look at those strengths and know that they're still capable of getting results. So as Luca mentioned, Kievo is a tough team to face on the ground. And for some reason, Kiev was a bogey team for Napoli. So, you know, even under Rafa Benitez and Walter Mazzari, Kiev had problems facing the Flying Donkeys. So um, it's a result that Napoli can take a bit out of, but not take uh, too much to heart. And as I mentioned earlier, hopefully with the international break, that allows them to take a breather. And even with these tough fixtures coming up, uh, this would be another great test for them to see how they cope against AC Milan, how they can play against Juve. And if they get wins against those two teams, I think uh, that's an even greater confidence boost. And being on top of the table too, surely that should be something that Napoli should use to their advantage, you know, give them some positive motivation, you know, give them the belief that they can hold on to top spots. Yeah, definitely. At the moment, they're top and they have 32 points after, what, 12 games, which is extremely impressive. And then close behind them now in second place are Juventus, as you might expect, with 31 points from their 12 games. But it wasn't all that easy for them this weekend. They Benevento went 1-0 up at the Juventus Stadium or whatever it's called now. And for a while, you kind of thought, could this really happen? Benevento, who haven't won... In 11 games, could they actually get their first win in Serie A against the champions who are defending it for the, what, sixth, seventh time in a row? Uh, it was strange that after the game, Massimiliano Allegri came out and said that they never really felt troubled. And I kind of thought, really? You were losing 1-0. Luca. do you think that Juventus should be concerned that they went behind against Benevento? Because I know a lot of the time coming back and beating these smaller teams when you're not at your best is a sign of a good team, blah, blah, blah. But this is Benevento. They, they've lost their opening 12 games. What do you think? Should Juve be concerned or will they just move on? No, I don't think there's any reason for them to be concerned. But to be honest, I could understand why Allegri said that they weren't really in any in any difficulties. Like uh, Just when I was looking at the scores, you see I'm like, like Benevento winning it. Juventus, it's kind of amusing. And then you think, oh, that's just going to make them angry. They're going to come back. And it was a free kick. It was a very good free kick from Cicerezzi. But that was basically the only thing that Benevento created. And Juventus did waste quite a lot of chances. They had 27 shots to three. So if you're just looking at that, it was a pretty comfortable thing. I mean, yeah, they only won by one goal margin. But it's just kind of one of those things that happens. It's sort of when you see in the cup, like uh, the underdog goes ahead and think, oh, no, they're just... They're just going to hang at the big team now and they'll just wake up. So I don't, I don't think there's really any reason for Juve to be too concerned about that. Like they're not, they don't, you don't really win things by 
just smashing teams. It's just consistent winning, which is what they're they're doing again. Yeah, I guess there's not really too many things specifically to that match to discuss, but one of the questions we got in from Twitter came from Dave Long, and he wants to know our thoughts on Pelle de Bala's form. Vito, I know you were keen to talk about the the little Argentine before we come on. Dybala's form dropped a fair bit and perhaps his penalty misses have uh, damaged his confidence a little bit. I remember in the first four to six games, he was in phenomenal form. Um, He was averaging more than a goal a game and it looked like he was really going to have a truly outstanding season. But I think in the last few weeks, just the way games have uh, turned out, I think the way the opposition have played as well has limited his space and also his influence on the game. But I just think it's nothing more than a short blip. I think he'll return to form pretty soon. Do you think that uh, we've discussed the dynamic between him and Higuain a lot this season, but do you think that Higuain kind of finding form again, finding the net again, is detrimental to Dybala's form? Vito, I'll stick with you on that. I suppose it is to an extent, but... uh, I think as from a perspective, I'm sure this is a reference point. If one player is getting space and producing goals, that's fantastic. And then the other player is just a decoy. And then it can also work the other way. If, uh, you know, if the other player is being marked and uh, his teammate's the one that's getting more space for a team like you, with with two strikers like Higuain and Dybala, that can only be beneficial. Something like that would probably be detrimental for smaller teams. All right. Um, that's enough you, chat, I think. But I've got a fun fact about Benevento. Luca, you probably know this because it's the kind of weird thing that you know. But um, do you want me to tell you? Yeah, go for it. I don't think I know it. So. All right. Well, if you've listened to... Uh, one of the mainstream English podcasts today, apologies, because I just mixed it from there. I can't remember which podcast it came from either, but Benevento, the place used to be called Malevento, which basically translated to something along the lines of bad things happen here. Luca, can you confirm or deny that? Yeah, like wind, air, the, the sort of environment, yeah. All right, well, then the, the locals apparently weren't too happy about it, so they petitioned and changed the name of the place to Benevento, which is the opposite basically and the way things are going do you think that team might be getting a rebranding at the end of the season if they continue this run and lose 38 games out of 38 all right no one jump in there thanks guys we'll move on to uh, one of the best games of the weekend i think it's fair to say and that was at the stadio artemio frankie where fiorentina lost 4-2 against roma Uh, guys I think we all need to hold our hands up here because I don't think any of us saw this coming from Roma this season. They've been seriously impressive. Luca, do you think they're actually a properly good team this year? Yeah, I was sceptical of Di Francesco before he went in. It was certainly an entertaining game in uh, Florence. Very, very wet and I think that held up the off. But yeah, he certainly seems to be getting the most out of the, the attacking players and the wingers that they've got there, Roma, but where, as we've seen, El Shirawi's really hit form and then again, Fiorentina is uh, Gerson with a brace. So, it, it, yeah, it seems to really be going quite well for them at the moment uh, at Roma because he's getting more out of his wingers and I thought kind of defensively he might be a bit weak. But, all right, they conceded two at Fiorentina. That was a very open game. But in most of the other games, they've been very, very tight about more than expected. So it'd just be interesting to see how it continues and uh, you know, if they can just keep up this momentum because... To be honest, like even though they're not quite at the peak of the, of the table where perhaps they have been at the points in recent years, they're doing very well. And they seem to be settling in very, very quickly to this Monchi post-Totti era. There's a lot, a lot of changes. Yeah, well, one thing that's interesting is that they've looked quite strong defensively, which is not necessarily something you'd associate with, you say, Bill Di Francesco. Vito, do you think that at the moment, it's still early in his time at Roma, Spalletti obviously had a big impact there before he left and moved on to Inter. Do you think that the the players are still kind of so well drilled with Spalletti's defensive tactics that Di Francesco is benefiting from that for now and given time, 
that might wear off and we will start to see a few more gaps in their defense. Hmm. Uh, I think that, yeah, at the moment, I probably won't say they'll become more leaky. Um, I reckon that's with uh, Spalletti. He still had a team that was capable of scoring goals too. So um, I wouldn't label him as someone who was ultra defensive or ultra conservative. Perhaps with Di Francesco going to a club like Roma where there's still a lot of pressure despite not being as uh, successful trophy-wise as the big three, um, I still think he wants to get some results on the board and, you know, there's he has his intention to play a more attacking game, but uh, I have seen a greater defensive strength under him than probably under Spalletti in my view. And... I think I reckon it's uh, a, just a bit of maturity on Di Francesco's part, to be honest. Luca, I know you're kind of keen to jump in on this as well. Uh, I'll get your thoughts as well on while I look at other things. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really think of what you said, but I thought it, it did make quite a lot of sense to kind of give some of that credit to Spalletti because, as we've seen, Linji's made a real impact it's built those foundations for Roma where they do have this kind of established back two at the moment of Manolas, who I think he scored against Fiorentina as well, so that's a bonus, and Fazio, where they do really have that kind of strong centre-back punch. And Kolarov as well, full-back, has been doing incredibly well, and that's probably quite unexpected. So uh, you, you see that Di Francesco is very much sort of benefiting from what was there with the centre-backs for them. Also, Kolarov, who perhaps sort of very experienced player, but he's still getting the most out of him and he's clearly got him hungry to play and do well at Roma. And it was quite a difficult start for him, obviously, as a former Lazio player. There's a bit of a negative atmosphere, but then that's all been completely brushed aside with how well but it's been going. I think perhaps depth could be still a bit of an issue with Roma in some areas. And then also there's the kind of possibility there always that it's... Um, there's going to be off-the-field stuff that causes a problem. There's stuff about the stadium now where this wonderful stadium that they've got planned that's supposed to help really kind of revolutionise Serie A and modernise it. There's more legal, bureaucratic things getting in the way there. So you kind of always have this potential for just things to become distracting off the field. They're at Roma, but at the moment it's all, all going well. And credit to Di, Di Francesco. And he's doing quite a bit better than I would have expected. And he long may continue, he's doing well. Yeah, I think we were all we all had a lot of goodwill for him. We all wanted him to do quite well there, but we were skeptical whether or not he'd be given the time, and whether or not things would start off too well for him. But he's seriously silenced us. One thing that it's worth pointing out is that they lost arguably their best defender as well in the summer, and Antonio Rudiger, who went to Chelsea. But another player they lost, who it, it looks like Juventus have just done Roma a massive favour by signing Szczesny because they've got Alisson in goal now. And Luke, I'm going to stick with you. Do you think, personally, I think he is such an upgrade from what we've seen so far on Szczesny. I don't know why Juventus signed him. I know he's second choice for the moment, but I don't really get it. Do you think he's playing a huge role as well in keeping their defensive record maybe looking a little bit better than perhaps it would have been with a different goalkeeper? Yeah, he's he's done very well because he's been there for a while, but he was never getting in ahead of Chesney. It was kind of frustrating because they signed this player from Brazil, this young, talented player, and then it's kind of that thing you tend to get quite a lot in Serie A where they have these reputations, but then they don't really get that much of a chance to prove themselves at the start when he started Chesney in front of him. But he, he's certainly been doing very well against Prince. He made a good double save. It was quite spectacular against Bologna. He made this very good save going back to claw it out and... He's, I suppose he's a lot more physically imposing than Chesney. He seems quite a lot bigger, probably you'd think maybe a bit more of a um, kind of, I don't know if he's, I mean, I don't know what he's a communicator like. I'm not in the Roma back line, but he seems perhaps more reassuring that. So, but I think I think Chesney was perfectly good at Roma. It's just perhaps you're doing Chesney a bit of a disservice because he did perfectly well at Roma to earn that move to Juve. But then now he's kind of in Alisson's position where you think, oh, he's, he's too good to be the second choice. But... That's just how it is, and Roma seem to have. Uh, they Roma seem to have all the benefits of that deal. Yeah, from from one good and exciting young Brazilian to another, then I guess Vito, um, not you, uh, Gerson. I think that was his debut, wasn't it? And he scored two goals, two very well taken goals as well. Um, 
I guess this is another sign of Di Francesco trusting youth, as we saw at Sassuolo. Do you think we can see, we will see plenty more of him as the season goes on? Absolutely. I think we have two goals in a game which you start from the from the for the first time. I think that's a extremely positive sign. And he's only twenty years old, Jason. So I reckon Di Francesco will find ways to put him in the team. And Di Francesco doesn't necessarily have one fixed starting lineup. I think he's actually getting his rotations right, which is a big contrast to. Maurizio Sarri, who's been criticised for not rotating enough despite being on top of the table. So at the moment, Roma, they're about the fifth now. But I reckon in the second half of the season, um, Di Francesco's methods might be beneficial to both the team and the players as individuals, at least they're getting those chances to shine and they're actually producing. So uh, hopefully there are a few other players who see what Gerson has done and make the most of the playing time as well. All right, guys, I see your comments coming in, Imran and the other guy. I didn't catch him, sorry. Just we'll get to those a little bit later. Remind us when we get down to that sort of section of the show. But Luca, we've spoken enough about Roma, but I just have one more question before we move on, because to be fair to them, we haven't discussed them enough this season. So I think we can afford to go a bit over this week. Do you think they have the squad? Because at the moment they're doing incredibly well, both in Serie A and their top of the Champions League group, which isn't an easy one either. It includes Chelsea and Atletico Madrid. Have they got the squad to seriously challenge in both? I think I think to do it on on two fronts will be they're probably a bridge too far, really, for Roma. I think, obviously, they're doing very well in the Champions League at the moment when they're kind of always the Italian team that struggles in Europe. And to that, that result against Chelsea was very, very impressive. And I think a lot of people really sat up and took notice of that. But I think, obviously, it's still early in the season, so it's quite it's quite hard to say. I think it's more, more in defence where they could be a bit short. Like, up front, obviously, we still have a Schick who's still yet to really get much of a run in the team. So... With with the strikers and the attacking midfielders, I think they can certainly rotate a lot. But I think it's just kind of that that uh, even uh, even the midfield they can they can make a lot of different options now that they brought Pellegrini in as a kind of young, hungry Italian midfield as well, along with the more experienced players. I think it's just perhaps kind of if they they get some injuries in that defence and just the the extra demands of playing in Europe could could help them in the long term. I don't think it's like a a massive Achilles heel for them, but I, I don't think they can cope with it as perhaps as well as teams like Juventus who've been doing it for, for so much longer. All right, that'll do. Um, one club who we, to be fair, we've neglected them a little bit in the last couple of weeks, but a bit sick of them at the moment. But they won this weekend. AC Milan picked up a much-needed three points away at Sassuolo. Uh, it wasn't pretty, Vito, but they got the job done and it was reasonably comfortable. Is this a building platform for Montella, or is it just a pretty standard three points away at a pretty below-par team? I reckon it was a standard three points for AC Milan. I still think that collectively they need some work, and the possession play I still thought was rather bland and predictable. One player that deserves plaudits more than everyone else is Suzo. He's the main creative spark. And despite all the big signings they've made, he's still the one that's producing and he's been there for some time as well. And I think also the much maligned Fabio Borini, uh, the Liverpool and Sunderland flop, I think he's playing really well. And Montella's created a new role for him. And working as a wingback, I think he's shown lots of energy and lots of effort and I think that for the lack of gloss on his name and to his game, I think that despite the crisis Milan's been going through, he's probably been one of the unsung heroes. Yeah, Vito, you actually lifted the first five words out of my match report on this, and it was the much maligned Fabio Barini because he was really impressive. And I hold my hands up. I've been very critical of him at times this season. Well, not so much him, but the idea of him and the fact that he is getting a place in this Milan team, not even in his natural position. But as you say, 
He's adapted. He's one of the few players in recent weeks who you can actually give some credit to, along with Sousa, it should be said. But Luca, someone who impressed me for once this week was Leonardo Bonucci. He made a huge tackle. I think it was still 1-0 at the time. And I wrote in my report that he showed glimpses of his Juventus self, showing he's still Leonardo Bonucci. Do you think that he celebrated it like a goal as well? Can you see him taking confidence from a performance like that? Or do we need to see a few more of those type of performances and to see them against the likes of Napoli to really take him and Milan seriously as European challengers? Yeah, obviously, I think we need to to see a few more from him and obviously the whole team is still looking to find this, this substance. But I think it's, it's definitely been tough on him and so the whole of Milan, especially as a defender, to come in and be that star man moving in from, from a rival because when you're a defender, you don't really expect to be the kind of centre of attention as much as other players. So for the, for the main signing to be this player of so much pressure on is always going to be difficult. And I think with time, Benucci obviously had a couple of days off, um, time to work, time to train as he uh, was serving his suspension after getting sent off against Genoa. And I think, yeah, he, sh- he should really be able to kick on. He's, he, he was obviously a, a, a very good player at Juventus. Everyone was raving about him constantly. And then a few, few get-bad games at Milan, it's just, oh, it was uh, Barzali and Chiellini making him look good as he kind of sprays diagonals across the pitch. But I think as time goes on and Milan kind of work out who they are, you, you will see him become that kind of key element in that team that he, everyone expected when they signed him. So I think there's every reason for Milan fans to just remain patient with him. They shouldn't really be trying to put more pressure on. And he's also got big uh, responsibilities coming up for, for Italy in the weekend. So I think he'll be able to deal with it and move on and put this kind of slow start behind him. All right. Um, Frank Cassie impressed me as well. Nicola Kalinic still isn't very good. Vito, I'm aware Davide Calabria came off early, but I was more, I more want to talk about him in light of what we said. I think it was when me and you did the show on our own last week that Andrea Conti's boots are quite big boots to fill on that right-hand side, even though he hasn't quite shown it yet for Milan. But do you think Calabria could potentially be the player to fill in at right back. I know it's early, but when he broke through initially, there was a lot of excitement around and people were saying that he's better than Dechilio was when he first broke through. Or is he just there because they literally have nobody else? Calabria was showing some promise initially, but at the moment, I'm still wondering if he's the type of guy that should consider going on loan somewhere else. I still think he's a little bit raw and that he might need more time to develop at a smaller team so he can get regular opportunities and also be more decisive. I feel that when I see him play, he's good going forward, but his crosses aren't as dangerous as Andrea Conti's. And I also believe that he needs a bit of work on his defensive game because I really can't recall many great interceptions, blocks or tackles on his part. So I think that's one part of his game that needs to improve. And although in this day and age, teams want players who play at right back or left back to go forward and all that, I still think defenders need to understand that you've got to be a defender first and actually know how to defend. Yeah, perfectly said. Luca, right, we've, we're going over time already a bit. We still have a fair bit to get through. So Inter-Torino, one each. You watched it. I'm going to time you. Tell us everything that happened. Go. Well, I think Inter wasted quite a lot of chances. Icardi, in uh, particular, wasn't having the best day in front of goal. Torino went down the run and scored. And then with it coming late on, uh, Inter managed to get that equaliser through the day. It was a lovely, lovely assist, actually, from Icardi. It wasn't really, didn't have a shooting boots on, but he brought this cross down in the air, just flicked it back to uh, it's there for a tapping, simple finish. And then Vecino could have won at the end with an absolute power drive that rocketed off the crossbar. But in the end, it was a fair fair result. I think both teams played fairly well. I don't think there's any real reason for Inter to panic. They're not in crisis. They're still unbeaten. Torino, a decent team. Uh, Serie B played well in goal for uh, Torino. They've improved 
in that uh, area of the pitch since uh, Hart's gone. And yeah, I, I don't think there's any real um, conclusions that can sum anything up really that can be taken from that game. It was just uh, just one of those games. And, yeah. Impressive, right? 90 minutes filtered down to 54.93 seconds. Luca, I'm proud of you. This is why you should come to FIF, guys. We we can get through the whole Serie A weekend in 20 minutes if we really pushed it on that evidence. But, um, yeah, Vito had pointed out, Sergio did have a good game. I think Nick actually picked them in his the winners section of his new winners and losers feature that he does on the YouTube channel. So, I don't know where that is. It's over there, there. Just go find it after this or pause this, go watch it and come back to us. We'll still be here, but... Yeah, it's a good thing that Nick does and Sirigu had a good game, which is good for everybody. And like you say, Hart's not there anyway more, so they're probably better off. Right, guys, this is the moment you two have been waiting so patiently for. It is time to talk about the Derby della Lanterna. Vito is rubbing his hands down there in the corner. Nick commented earlier on, the first comment that came in, and he's looking forward to a classic Genoa rant from you. So... Don't let him down. What happened to the Griffone? Well, usually in derby games, they tend to play a more physical game. And although they weren't overly physical like in other Genoa derbies, they tried to ruin Sampdoria's fluidity. We still did our best to play our game. And most importantly, we really capitalised on our chances. Genoa looked very predictable and Ivan Nurich, he seemed like he was reliant on Adel Tarapt to create chances and on Gianluca Lapadula to finish them off. But at Sampdoria, it's about the collective. We have good individuals, but they all worked for the team. They stuck to Gianpaolo's plans and it was a great game, great result. And uh, Dovan Zapata provided three and two assists. So that was very impressive from him. And I thought Quagliarella could have had two in that game. And even Ricky Alvarez, when he came on, should have scored. So finished 2-0. Personally, I think it could have been maybe 4-0, 5-0. Even Emiliano Viviano made some top saves. But, you know, three W wins in a row. And I just want to say, I think with Marco Giampaolo, with such a good record in the derbies, he's got to be called the Genoa Slayer. Forget about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Look at Marco Giampaolo. He knows how to beat the enemy. <laughs> hey, Vito, you didn't disappoint Nick and everyone. I'm sure you're happy with that. Uh, Luca, I'm just looking at this. Sam play Genoa again on the 8th of April. We should really be there by then. Fingers crossed around then anyway. So we can go to that together maybe. Yeah, okay. Glad that's sorted. Can see that, <laughs> that midfield right. engine, the, the, the young three, the, that Torreira, prior Linetti, is just doing so well. And Samp have been doing a, bit, a lot better than I expected. And Gianpaolo deserves great credit for that. Everyone, I think everyone who keeps hopping on Serie A now realises that Torreira is definitely the real deal. And you can just do a bit of everything he gets. There. There's a little point period in that game when I was getting a bit nervous about 20 minutes to end. Genoa had a few chances, but... He was just there mopping everything up, getting stuck in. Really tenacious player. And he, he just looks a, a really, really good player moving forward, considering his age. You, you should watch this game with um, with Vito because you'll have no nerves then if you're watching Genoa losing. They're not going to come back. Come on. Um, Luca, we didn't get your thoughts on Lucas Torreira's ridiculous goal last week. Because, again, I'm pretty sure that was just me and Vito discussing that, but... What what were your thoughts on that strike? The one from about seventy yards out. Yeah, it was just absurd. Like there's no wall, but there's nothing the goalkeeper did. That just kind of that movement, the kind of trademark Roberto Carlos thing, swinging off to the right. And then his second one wasn't bad either. As he's waiting on the half volley before about ten minute VAR delayed to, to the side of it went in. He's just I think they were, they were the only two goals he scored in Serie A. They were the first two, but great goals and. He's just, just getting more and more attention with every performance he puts in. And he's really, really deserving. He's coming on and he's uh, very much a proper player. All right. That will, Vito, I have to throw the last word to you on the derby, really. This is a, the last word we'll say on Serie A. So go on, just, just take it away, Vito. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Well, what, what else can I add? I think everything's pretty self-explanatory. Ivan Juric got the sack. They brought back Davide Ballardini. I don't know what he's thinking. It's probably his third time back at Genoa. And regardless if it's Genoa or not, why would you go back to a crazy club Three times. Where's your dignity, Balladini? At least, you know, oh, of course, yeah, the money. But is there really that much money in Genoa? Put it this way. At least Massimo Ferrero, I've criticised him at times. Sometimes he acts like a clown, but he's let Giampaolo do his work. And so far, it's looking good. I mean, we're in the Europa League spots. And uh, I think with Ferrero, the other directors at Sampdoria, like Daniele Prade, Antonio Romay, Carlo Osti, the scout Riccardo Peccini, I think they're keeping the ship on the right path. And uh, Genoa, clearly they're not on the right path. They're sinking down. And they're in relegation. The facts are there. Look at the table. Forza Doria. Try to say that Genoa are in a relegation zone without smiling next time, Vito. Come on, we're not supposed to be biased like that. <laughs> right, Luca. Yeah, fair, fair point. I'd be, I'd be smiling if I had a, an immediate rival in Serie A as well. Luca, you got through one match in 55 seconds. Now you're going to have to pair through Serie B because we spoke about it being close, but it's gotten closer, believe it or not, because now there is ten, there are 10 points separating first and bottom. Um, Frosinone are first with 23 points, Cesena are 22nd and bottom with 13 along with four other teams, mind. But, okay, I'm going to time you again here. Let's see if you can beat 55 seconds. What happened in Serie B this weekend? Go. Yeah, as you mentioned, I don't think that kind of equilibrium's going anywhere. I think I worked out that there were only five wins in a league of 22 teams, but they weren't all just a bunch of nil-nils. There's a lot of uh, excitement again. I think one of the most interesting games was Brescia-Venezia. Venezia got back to winning ways. Brescia, 85th minute, took the lead. And Venezia went and scored two in the 87th name to win. I'm going to jump in here and just say, yes, continue. And then uh, Frosinone have moved top. And it's interesting to see what's going on there. They've got a new new stadium, the Stadio Benito Stirpe. I think can hold about 16,000. And they beat Palmer 2-1. Palmer had been on a winning run of their own. Uh, that as well. Definitely under 21 is going to go play there soon. Looks like a, a nice little venue. Uh, so Frosinone are a point ahead of Palermo. And then the other team to look out for at the moment is Cremonese, who won 3-2 at Perugia to move up to third. And I think they are unbeaten in eight. So with their distinctive uh, grey and red shirts, uh, they can perhaps dream of perhaps returning to uh, Serie A one day, not too far away. And yeah, it's all, all very close and very interesting in Serie B where every team can look up with uh, enthusiasm and bind over their shoulders with some trepidation because there is no uh, distance between any of the teams at the moment. Right, I'm going to compare it to other leagues because, what, Manchester City are how many points clear of Man United? Eight or something and they're still in the title race in England. 
Uh, Real Madrid are eight points behind Barcelona in Spain. They're still in the title race. So if we're going by those parameters, we have a 22-team title race in Serie B this season. And it's the place to be, guys. We we need to give it more attention. Luca, you came in at about a minute, 10 seconds for that, which is very impressive to get through an entire division. So well done. Luca's Serie B minute is the new thing at the end of the podcast. Um, it's not quite Serie B, but it's down in the lower divisions of Italian football. We got a question coming in from, let me find his name, Sam Hill on Twitter. And he said, surely Modena can't just slip quietly out of existence. It happened to Parma and Siena, great old clubs. Why? It's dreadful news. So Luca, shine some positivity on this. Yeah, I think it's perhaps local rivals in Emilia-Romagna where uh, Palma, where it would turn out to not really be that much of an issue. That that club was kind of doomed. They financially were a mess. They weren't playing in Modena. They couldn't fulfill their fixtures. I think at this kind of stage, it's better to just put them out of their misery, start again, they'll be back. Modena is too big a town to not have a football team. They've got too much history. They'll, they'll restart. And I think if you're a fan, in, in some ways, it's quite... Um, it's quite an exciting thing that you can start a new, have some sort of Phoenix club, take the history of the old one, sort of MK Don's kind of-esque thing, which happens all the time in Italy. It's not really going to be any issue for Modena to do then. There's a framework there from the FIGC where you take that history. They'll they'll be back sooner or later. And Palmer, Palmer died, what, less than five years ago. They're back in Serie B now looking to get back into Serie A. It's, it's, it's easily doable in Italy. It just... It happens, but it's, it's not good that it happens, but these teams can't stay down for too long. I remember we were speaking to our friend, uh, Padraig, who's a, a Celtic fan, but he, he couldn't uh, bring himself to have a go at Rangers for, for dying and being a different club because he follows Italian football. It happens all the time. It's just one of those things. It's one of the peculiarities of the Italian football system. After what he said about me on the podcast that I wasn't on last week, me and Padraig aren't friends anymore. But... Um... Well, we've kind of gotten through the the body of what we wanted to talk about, so we've just got a few little quick questions to get through them. Um, This came in from a listener a few weeks ago. Uh, I never got to it, so I'm bringing it up now. Listener, whoever sent it in, thank you. Love you. Forgot your name, though. Um, Vito, we'll start with you. An 18-team Serie A. An 18-team Serie A would be ideal because I think it would make the league more competitive again. And growing up in the 90s, I remember the league being with 18 teams, and it was the best league in the world at the time. So I think a return to that format would be excellent. And as we've seen with Benevento, a 20-team league is not ideal. You need to make sure that the league is competitive. We can't just have teams making up the numbers in Serie A. Luca, you're just going to piss on the parade here, aren't you? Because I would be in favour of a, a reduced team top flight as well. Yeah, I'd, I'd be in favour of it. I think most people are in favour of it. Uh, Tavecchio was in favour of the FIGC. One of his kind of platforms is we're going to streamline Italian football. We're going to have fewer teams in Serie B, in Serie G, Serie A. But at the end of the day, the bottom 10 teams in Serie A will not vote to relegate themselves. So it's pretty much unworkable. They, they, they pushed over the summer to do it and they just couldn't find enough cooperation from the clubs. I think everyone thinks it would be a good idea. It's just... There's too many teams in Serie, Serie A which are worried that they would lose out and that could really, really harm them financially. You get these teams, when we're talking about Modena, it's quite easy to just collapse off the, the face of the footballing pyramid in Italy. There's talk of a uh, perhaps introducing a playoff between Serie A and Serie B, a relegation playoff like in the Bundesliga. But I think a lot of people think that's just kind of this magical cure. I think it's more of a, a structural issue and it'll be quite hard to get these these clubs around because they they don't want to do anything which harms their futures yeah that was actually it kind of links into one of the questions that came in in the comments today which i'm surprised that we have a listener in the faroe islands i'm quite proud of that but yeah he just wanted to get our thoughts on he or she i should have wanted to get our thoughts on the strength of the lower the teams in the lower end like Cagliari, crotone spell I won't have a bad word said about Cortona. They're fantastic. I personally think Cagliari will finish quite comfortably in the upper sections of the bottom half this season. Um, and Spal, well, Spal themselves are kind of one of these new clubs, aren't they? This current edition of the club were founded in just 2013, which is incredible to think that they're in Serie A now. 
And I reckon they'll probably pick up enough points over the course of the season to just about stay up. They've got some decent players there. Pulaski, uh, Grassi, Bariello. Bariello will get them goals. Uh, you would hope Valberto Pulaski will get back to his best. Um, I'm not sure what you guys think. Just the Vito, you've been quiet for a few minutes. So have you any kind of overriding thoughts on those lower half teams and their strengths? Mm. I think the obvious one is Crotone. They managed to get a 3-2 win away to Bologna this weekend, although Simone Verdi scored two top three kicks. I think uh, Crotone once again showed the defensive strength, the resilience and the ability to hit on the counter-attack. And I think that despite being such a limited squad on paper, they showed that on grass that they were a fantastic unit and their coach Davide Nicola once again has managed to make them a competitive side. So that's fantastic. A lot of the other bottom teams, I don't think they're too bad. Spal, like you just mentioned, they've quickly gone up and I think they are capable of survival too. One team that's really caught my eye for bad reasons is Udinese. Under Francesco Guidolin, they were fantastic. Antonio Di Natale was banging goals, but now I think the recruitment policy is flawed, and I don't think they should be going for all these cheap imports like they did in the past. I think they got to bring in more local talent, and I think that could be detrimental. I have a feeling they could get in the relegation battle if they don't turn things around. Yeah, I, n- I never really like wishing relegation on teams, but I wouldn't be too disheartened to see it as they go. Uh, personally they're a bit of a bogey team for Atalanta in recent years and I just don't think they offer anything to Serie A I'd rather Benevento and Cortone and the likes some more southern teams or something to get up and stay up and just kind of add a bit of diversity if nothing else Um, what else have we got Italy play Sweden in the World Cup qualifiers one of the questions Jorginho finally got a call up guys celebrate woohoo uh, one of the questions from Imran Khan, how are Verratti and Jorginho going to work for Italy? Aren't they similar players? Well, Luca, do you think the idea might be that it's not going to be both, rather one or the other? Yeah, you think it's going to be a pick between one or the other. I, I do kind of have this lingering thought that the reason Jorginho has been called up now is because there was talk of him getting that Brazil call up. It's just to really make sure that they don't lose a lot of talent there. And you, you think Verratti in the pecking order as it is, he, he probably is a better player. But uh, I think I think Ventura could do something that's a bit surprising. I don't think he's going to try and stick with this 4 4 I think he's got too much criticism. He'll try and keep it simple and just sort of hope that that kind of Italian resolve and ability to actually win and turn up when it really matters shines through. So uh, I think it'd be two, two tight, tough games, but I think in the middle, I wouldn't really be surprised if Jorginho doesn't doesn't feature. I am inclined to agree. I'd, I'd be quite cynical. I do think that's probably the only reason he was called up. Um, I reckon he might play some part in one of the games just to make sure that that talk goes away and that he definitely can't get snatched by Brazil. Uh, he's definitely good enough to play. He's been brilliant for Napoli over the last couple of years. Vito, do you want to jump in? I guess I'll get a prediction for you. How do you see these couple of games going against Sweden? Will Italy be in Russia next year? It all depends on Ventura's formation. Uh, By the sound of things, the 4-2-4 is going to go away. There might be a use of the 3-5-2, which suits the players, especially the Juventus contingent who were under Antonio Conte, or even 4-3-3. So... um, Assuming that he uses one of those two formations, I think Italy's got a good chance. And I think with the second leg being in Milan, I think the momentum will be in their favour. Luca, predictions optimistic, pessimistic? I think cautiously optimistic. I wouldn't even be surprised if they extra time or something. But I think, I think Italy should be able to to grind through. I don't think Sweden, uh, I think they're not a team, obviously, that they wanted to get in this draw. You don't really want any of them when you look at it, but they should have more than Sweden. They beat them at Euros and that wasn't too long ago. They're both pretty similar similar sides and you think overall Italy's quality and ability to normally do it when it really matters should should see them book a place in Russia. 
Yeah, I've got this weird thing, not only with this game, but all Italian games. And it, whenever I'm, I look at a fixture and think, oh, yeah, Italy will win that fine. That's when I get nervous about the result because I think that's when they mess it up all the time. But like you say, they have to win. They can't really mess around. I, I don't think Ventura can play the 4-2-4 because he'll be run out of Italy if he does. Um, so, yeah, you would expect them to get through this. All right, guys, that has brought us to the end. You can follow us on them social media things, Instagram and Facebook at Forza Italian Football. We're on Twitter at Serie FFC. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look up Conjay Clancy or Connor Clancy and you'll find me. Luca, where can they find you? Uh, I think it's Gumby's owner across Twitter, Instagram. Solid, solid branding there on channels. <laughs> Yeah. And Vito, tell them where they can get your stuff. There's my Facebook fan page. You can see my work there. Otherwise, on Twitter, that's Vito C. Doria. And even on Instagram, same handle, Vito C. Doria. Lovely stuff. Everyone in the comments, thank you. You've been very kind this week. Paul, you've just ended things on a nice note. Excellent podcast, guys. Thanks. Thanks to you, Paul, and everyone else in the comments. It really really makes things easier when we're recording and we can see people listening and interacting and giving me things to say more than anything else because I don't really prepare as much as I should sometimes. So thanks for that. Jax, if you're listening back to this at some point, you need to get back in the comments, man. We've missed you the last couple of weeks. Um, But yeah, interact with us on Twitter. Let us know what we're doing well, what we're not doing well, what you want to hear from us in the future and what you don't want to hear from us in the future probably more importantly so yeah we'll probably be back at some point next week it's always a bit funny with the international break but given the significance of this one we'll we'll do something i'm sure so guys say goodbye ciao 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 everyone and all that's left for me to say is ciao for now
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.